Today's episode of The Amazing Nerd Show is brought to you by HelloFresh. Listeners, do you feel like you're stuck in a dinner rut? With HelloFresh, you get fresh pre-measured ingredients with mouth-watering seasonal recipes delivered right to your front door. Skip all those trips to the grocery store and count on HelloFresh to make home cooking easy, fun, and affordable. You can now enjoy cooking and get dinner on the table in 30 minutes or less. With over 25 recipes to choose from each week, there is something for everyone to enjoy. All recipes are designed and tested by professional chefs and nutritional experts to ensure deliciousness and simplicity. Now, Christian, one of the reasons I love HelloFresh so much is I love their variety. But I'm not going to lie, last week, I must have had the old school barbecue pork Slappy Joe's three dinners in a row with the pickled onions and the potato wedges with the Chipotle ranch. It's just delicious comfort food done right. Well, you know me, I've always enjoyed a hot bowl of soup, so I've been trying a bunch of options. Most recently, their Italian wedding soup with meatballs, simply amazing. So listeners, go to our link in our show notes and get $80 off, including free shipping on HelloFresh, the number one meal kit. That's HelloFresh, the recipe for deliciousness. Nerds, it's time to suit up and nerd up. Launching badass rockabilly track. Now loading horrifying combo. Error. Rebooting systems. Warning systems corrupted. Horror protocols installed. Now time to end the world with some wrestling, video games, movies, TV, and more. Preparing our listeners for ritualistic sacrifice in three, two, one. We are the amazing nerd show, and this is Horror Month. Hey, this is Christian. Hey, this is Damon. And this is the Amazing Nerd Show. All right, Christian, it's confession time. So I totally meant to go see the new Venom movie, but uh-huh, after uh-huh. I saw like one shot of Venom just covered in glow sticks at a fucking rave, like <laughs> it had to just be a hard pass for me. Like I love this podcast, but god damn it. Like, <laughs> I just can't mentally abuse myself and sit through that fucking bullshit. So I'm sorry. I apologize up front. Uh, Christian took one for the team. Or maybe he loved the film. I don't know. Maybe it's not taking one for the team. But Christian I took one for the team. Okay. Christian <laughs> Christian did check it out. So he'll have like a complete spoiler-free review for us later on. Uh, but also warning afterwards, we will go full spoilers and talk like the mid credit scene uh, that, you know, has the Internet buzzing right now and all of its ramifications. So um, but on that note, and this is kind of off brand for us, so I won't do a full review, but I did see uh, many saints in Newark, uh, you know, for the most part, it was pretty damn good. Like I'm a Sopranos fan. But, Mm -hmm. you know, who isn't? Uh, But I was pretty hesitant at first. Like, I didn't know if we needed a prequel. Uh, I mean, in the series, we did have a lot of, like, flashbacks and everything. But I didn't know if we needed a full-on, like, Tony Soprano origin story. But this film, to be fair, isn't really that at all. Like, it's more of about, like, the world he grows up in and really you experience everything through Christopher's dad's eyes, uh, Dickie, who they talk about a lot in the show. And he's like kind of just like a legendary figure in Tony's life. Um, There's just a lot of great performances. Uh, Vera Farmiga is absolutely unrecognizable (laughs) 
and just wonderful as Olivia, uh, Tony's mom. And Ray Liotta, like spoilers, he actually plays two different roles in this movie. Oh, okay. And, <laughs> like it's the best thing I've seen him do in a long time. And not saying that he hasn't been doing good work, but this is amazing. Like one role in particular, I feel like is like Oscar worthy. But with that being said, like some of the other actors playing like younger versions of these characters that we've grown to love, you know, throughout the years, did feel like they were kind of like doing bad impressions, but that's gonna happen when you're playing like these iconic characters, I think. Um, so I, I thought it was forgivable at least. I did enjoy how they were able to like fill in the blanks with a lot of the Soprano lore. Uh, and at the same time, they were able to add new wrinkles also. So at the end of the film, I did question like if it could really stand on its own merits. Um, like, was my enjoyment almost too informed by like my fandom of the series? I mean, it relies pretty heavily on like knowing the material, at least it seemed like to me. Um, but maybe I was just enjoying it on a different level than someone, you know, who's just, a, you know, a non-soprano fan, like coming into it blind. Uh, but I mean, there was like literally like MCU level like Easter eggs throughout this entire like film. So uh, it also has this weird kind of non-ending that honestly felt more like a glorified pilot uh, for a new series than like, I don't know, the way you would end a film. But hey, if they're going to do new series, that's not a bad thing. Like. I would be interested in seeing, you know, kind of like that origin story for Tony Soprano, like I talked about now. So that this film got me excited for that story, which is a good thing. Uh, and, you know, the more I thought about it, too, like I could probably raise this question with a lot of franchise films that I watch, you know. So, I mean, it's I guess it's more about the bigger picture. Um, you know, I would definitely like recommend like checking this out. Like if you're a Sopranos fan, like it just works as a good companion piece for the show. Uh, I'm just not quite sure like if a non-fan would really be into it. I mean, you might actually find that out because I have never actually watched The Sopranos myself, but my girlfriend is a massive fan, of course, because she loves all things mob movies and shit like that. Um, so she might actually make me watch this and then maybe I'll give you my opinion as well. I'm waiting with bated breath, Christian. But anyway, sorry for that little detour. Um, I know that's a little off brand for us, like I said, but I don't know. I just had to get that out of my system. So <laughs> let's go ahead and talk about what's happening in this week's episode. Uh, Christian, like we talked about up front, will be reviewing Venom Let There Be Carnage. Also, we'll be breaking down the season finale for What If. And over in Christian's corner, Horror Month continues with his top horror video game villain countdown. Plus, we'll be talking AEW's anniversary episode from This Week in Wrestling. All right, but before we move on, make sure to subscribe to us on your favorite podcast platform. And while you're at it, give us a five-star review and DM us a screenshot. Not only will we read it on the show, but we'll send you some amazing nerd show swag. Let's get into the news. Every week, we collect the biggest headlines and rumors of nerdum. We're not mild-mannered reporters. We're mere podcasters with opinions. Looks like there'll be a WandaVision spinoff in the works with Katherine Hans Agatha. 
So according to reports, Han will return to play Agatha in what's being described as a dark comedy. The exact storyline has not been revealed yet, but WandaVision writer Jack Schaefer will both write and executive produce the Agatha Harkness series. There are no further details at this time, though. So I'm curious to see if this is going to be like a continuation of the storyline from WandaVision or if they're going to do like some kind of like prequel of sorts. Uh, But I'm 100% like here for this. Also, reportedly Han's contract also includes film appearances. So, I mean, who knows where else she'll like pop up. I mean, I imagine there's going to be a Scarlet Witch film at some point, or if they want want to dive into her storyline a little bit more, if if there's anything there. <laughs> maybe, or maybe eventually we'll get another WandaVision series. I mean, True. it was pretty successful. So mm-hmm. I just I just hope that this show you know gets the it's Agatha all along theme song. I'll be happy. I also wouldn't be surprised if they did like other musical numbers too. Oh, maybe a whole like musical episode like Buffy style. <laughs> Marvel's first musical show. There you go. Right. All right. I mean, it was like number one on the charts, I think. So. Uh-huh. <laughs> it's in one of my Spotify playlists. Got a report that the Batman is already getting a sequel. So, yeah, this should really not be a surprise to anyone, uh, especially since Warner Brothers has like two spinoff shows already planned for the film, uh, <laughs> you know, coming to HBO Max. But according to a new report from Scooper Daniel Richmond and actually confirmed by Batman on film, uh, the Batman sequel has already been given the green light by Warner Brothers and DC Films. Uh, we do know that the Batman, the first chapter, of this wave of Batman goodness we're supposed to be getting from Warner Brothers. It's supposed to be debuting March 5th of next year. And of course, there is no word right now on when we might see the sequel. I mean, yeah, that's some cool news. Uh, I, I don't know who I would hope for a sequel yet because I haven't seen the first one. So we'll we'll see. <laughs> but we do know that we're getting another trailer soon. So hopefully we'll see more from this at the DC fandom event. Yep, that, that has been confirmed. So... Uh, pretty exciting news. Well, up next, James Gunn has a top secret project coming for DC after Guardians of the Galaxy. So Gunn revealed Sunday afternoon he's already actively developing another DC project outside of his Peacemaker series for HBO Max. Yes, I'm developing another DC project besides Peacemaker, Gunn responded to a fan on Twitter. Gunn then went on to say that the project had nothing to do with the Deadshot vs. Bloodsport rumors going around, uh, and he also confirmed that there'd be no mention of it at DC Fandom later on this month. So also on the Marvel side of things for Gunn, uh, he teased that Guardians of the Galaxy's Christmas special would introduce Marvel's greatest character to the MCU. Uh, I'm guessing this was probably said tongue-in-cheek, and I wouldn't be surprised if it was like... You know, something like Santa Claus or Pip the Troll or uh, Super Pro. Uh, You know, something more along those lines. Uh, Maybe Ultraman. But we'll have to wait to next year to find out, right? Well, I have no idea who could possibly be coming to his, you know, Christmas events. But I do think we said it best a couple weeks ago where we said, you know, just give him the fucking keys to DC and just let him run wild. Because I'd love to see all these different characters, pretty much any character, be done by James Gunn on the DC side of things at this point. No, 100%. Like, give him the keys to the castle. Um, you know, build off the tone that he set in, you know, the Suicide Squad and go from there. Like, he doesn't need to direct, you know, every fucking franchise. But, you know, it, it wouldn't be bad to have him just kind of oversee things. You know, make him your Kevin Foggy. And up next, Marvel rumored to be considering a Daredevil reboot with Netflix actors. 
So this was the big rumor that hit the internet last weekend. I'm not sure how much water it holds since only really one person seems to be reporting it right now, and that's Daniel Richman uh, via Night Edge Media. So anyway, uh, the rumor is that Daredevil will be getting a soft reboot in a series or film uh, starring much of the same cast, but then he does go on to say that the characters would have different histories uh, for their MCU introduction, and nothing from the Netflix series would be canon. Uh, it also seems like it would include the series or film, I guess, uh, various supporting characters from the larger universe of the Netflix shows, which means you could potentially see characters like Jessica Jones or Luke Cage. Uh, once again, this is just a rumor, and usually when something like this is true, you have at least a couple different outlets reporting it. So like I said, like take this with a grain of salt. I mean, this spread like wildfire over the weekend. Uh, but I haven't heard anything else since then, so it just might be a case of a bad rumor gone awry. One can still dream, though, Damon. One can still dream. I don't know if I need all the actors back, though. I don't think I had a problem with any of them. To be honest, I think I I, I, I love. I that don't have cast, a problem so with know. them. I just I feel like if you're not going to continue that story, it's not a mm -hmm. bad thing to have a fresh start, like cast wise. Oh, no, true. Like bring back Charlie Cox, bring back Vincent D'Onofrio. That's fine. But like bringing back the whole cast, I feel like you're going to be kind of living in the shadow of the previous series. Mm -hmm. And I don't, I, I'm fine with them just kind of t telling a new story. Like I definitely did not enjoy their version of Bullseye. Fair enough. Or Electra for that matter. So, I mean, this season was fine that had Electra in it, but I don't know. I guess I was thinking more of just the core, like his friends and stuff like that. I, I didn't have a problem with, but I agree with you there. It, it would be a little bit too similar to what they had done with Netflix. And probably people would just be con constantly pulling it back to that instead of thinking of it as a new show. Exactly. Well, in horror news, Hulu's Hellraiser reboot cast Sense8 star as a female pinhead. So according to Deadline, Jamie Clayton will play a female incarnation of Pinhead, the Cenobite leader portrayed by Doug Bradley in the original films. The Hellraiser reboot was announced in April of 2020, and it will be directed by David Bruckner, who directed recently a fantastic film, Nighthouse, which I recommend checking out, and it will be also produced by David S. Goyer and Clive Barker. So, I mean, I'm all for, like, another Hellraiser film, uh, mm -hmm. and they've got some talented people behind it. Uh, Jamie Clayton has some huge shoes to fill because, I mean, Doug Bradley really brought, like, a Shakespearean flair to that role. Um, and, you know, they've tried to replace him in the past, and it hasn't necessarily worked out. But, I mean, hopefully she knocks it out of the park. Currently, there's no premiere date, but it should be coming out sometime in 2022. All right, Christian, so that's pretty much it for news. Uh, kind of a light week, but we do have a handful of trailers to talk about. That's right, one of them being Paranormal Activity, Next of Kin. I like your doll. What's her name? Yeah. You know, that was my mom's name. She used to live here a long time ago. She's still here. What did you say? All right, so like right off the bat, this is much more cinematic than all the other installments. Oh, yeah. Um, which I'm all for. Um, they're using the whole idea of this being like a documentary crew um, visiting uh, the main characters like, you know, family from the past or the main characters mother's family from the past. Yeah. yeah so but 
I'm okay with this. This is going to feel like a, you know, breath of fresh air, honestly. So um, they're still going to be doing kind of some found footage stuff just by watching this. You know, you do see the typical night vision and everything like that here and there. Um, but this is going to be directed by Christopher Landon, who did Happy Death Day. And he also did Freaky recently. So um, in the past, he has written a couple of these films. And I believe he actually uh, directed Marked Ones, which is like, a, I don't know if it's actually considered part of the franchise or it's part of the franchise, but it's like a spinoff or something. So I forgot how many of these movies there were. Yeah, there's there's quite a bit in such a short <laughs> period of time too. Mm -hmm. I enjoy, like I I said it before. Like I enjoyed the first three, I really did. So um, it definitely jumped the shark after the fourth one, though. Uh, but you know what? I don't know. I, I'm cool with revisiting the idea and seeing if they're bringing something new to the table. So this time around, we're following this woman who's like digging into her past. Um, she's visiting with like these I don't know Amish relatives although I'm not sure if they're Amish or not by the trailer um but there seems to be more to it than that they they're quite possibly just a cult um I, I think we could definitely say that they're a cult by <laughs> what's going on <laughs> in this trailer but you never know um so but yeah they, you know, she's trying to find out about her mother, who I don't know if she's ever met, um, and try to get the story there. She's with a documentary crew, so I don't know if something tragic happened in her past. That, that's at least what it seems like. Um, but yeah, and then the rest of it's kind of a montage type deal. I mean, we, we see some, you know, creepy shit happen at night. Um, she's investigating something. Um, but then, like, besides kind of the setup, the rest of the trailer goes like straight kind of montage. Um, you know, we do have one creepy scene with a little girl who, you know, the woman's talking to about her mother. And then the girl says, but your mother's still here. And then, of course, you know, cue the scary music. Um, you know, we see, you know, the, the main character make all the typical horror mistakes, you know, going into the dark cave when she shouldn't. Yeah. I just have to know. It's like, no, no, you don't. <laughs> No, you just fucking leave. <laughs> what are you doing? <laughs> you go into this dark hole in the ground. <laughs> this is definitely another case of a trailer showing you a little too much. Um, we see like the entire family basically chasing after the, you know, the girl and her friends. Um, so we know something obviously goes wrong at some point. Being the first trailer and it being released only like a month before the film like premieres, less than a month. Uh -huh. Like, why even bother doing this? Like, why show us so much? <laughs> you know, like you could have just done like a basic teaser and have at it, you know, let that let it be because people would be interested just by, you know, the franchise title alone, I feel like. Um, this is going to be on Paramount Plus. I don't think it's actually hitting theaters. I think Paramount actually just bought the rights to this outright. And, you know, that's just where they're premiering it. So I'll have to double check that, though. So, I mean, really, they could have done what they wanted because they're not worried about, like, selling tickets. Um, you know, why not just give us a teaser? You don't have to show us the whole fucking movie. I wish studios would stop <laughs> doing this. <laughs> It really annoys me. But anyway, uh, I don't know. The trailer was okay. Like I'm creepy kids singing here and there. Crazy old man uh. beating on the table. Whatever. I, you know, it, it sounds like a good <laughs> Halloween weekend watch. 
Um, I, I think the only thing I, I hope they don't do in this movie at this point is because just because it's, you know, it's the mom that she doesn't know that well or doesn't know the history of. I hope it's not like some weird way of them shoehorning, shoehorning like all the old like films into this one, like the, the through yeah, line there. Yeah, but they did have that line, I think, at the beginning of the trailer where it was like, this all happened before. So I'm guessing mm. there's probably some kind of connection <laughs> there, right? Uh-huh. But that mom is totally in that cave that she's about to like go spelunking into, like that's that's totally well, a thing. It, and there's some weird creature yeah. running around. That's that's her mom. That's absolutely her mom. Right? <laughs> her mom's a Wendigo or what... some shit. <laughs> uh. She's a Sasquatch. <laughs> oh god. So Wendigo is Sasquatch. Like they're the same thing, right? Not necessarily, but yeah. I mean, they're they're both woodland creatures. Okay. <laughs> I always get confused because the Marvel characters look so similar. Uh, so uh-huh. <laughs> <laughs> that's where all my knowledge comes from—is the Marvel universe. I mean, one's orange and one's white, but I mean, whatever. Comics, it, anyway. It's fine. <laughs> <laughs> but I'm gonna check this out. I'm gonna check this out. So. Uh, like I said, though, I enjoyed the first three films, and I, I definitely have seen all of them, you know. So, But, I mean, Christopher Land, he's got some street cred now, so I'm going to give him a chance here. Hopefully, you know, it, it's a new chapter for this franchise. I mean, even as someone who didn't really enjoy the franchise that much, I, I think this looks interesting, and I want to check it out, so, yeah. There we go. I'm not the only idiot here. <laughs> <laughs> Well, you could be an idiot too, and you could check this out on Paramount Plus on October 29th. David, what other trailers did we get this week? Well, we got a teaser for the Game of Thrones spin-off series, House of the Dragon. Gods. Kings. Fire. So we're, we're returning to Game of Thrones finally, and hopefully they've learned their lesson after everyone complained of that final season. Uh, hopefully. This doesn't look half bad, though. Like, this looks pretty cool. And I've always been kind of a fan of House Targaryen, um, even though they have a crazy lineage. I, I think this would be cool to see, you know. It's a lot of incest, yeah, right? Yeah, a whole lot of incest. <laughs> but we can ignore that part, right? <laughs> As long as they do. <laughs> I don't think that's happening, No, they're though. not going to ignore that. That's why they all have that bleach blonde hair. They all look like the Children of the Damned. Oh, yeah? <laughs> yeah. No, really. <laughs> um, I don't know. This didn't really do much for me. Like, I'll still watch it when it comes out. But, I don't know. At this point, it's going to take a lot for me to get excited for anything Game of Thrones mm. related. Um, and maybe just because I was so burned by those last couple seasons. Uh, but it, it does look good. I agree. You know, I mean, it is a bona fide teaser trailer, though. Yes. We barely see anything. Um, but, I mean, it looks, you know, well made. It definitely looks like it takes place in that universe. Um, you know, just like you said, a lot of blonde people walking around, <laughs> a few knights fighting. <laughs> That's pretty much it. Um, but, yeah, I mean, we'll see. Maybe they can redeem, you know, the way the series ended. But, I mean, you're a much bigger Game of Thrones fan than I am, so. I think it just comes down to, you know, we know where a lot of, like, the major characters will probably end up. So, hopefully, they introduce 
tons of side characters or characters that aren't going to be as important because the, the whole mystique of Game of Thrones is anyone can die at any time. You know, it's it's one of those types of shows. So hopefully they really build up the cast and it's something that we can watch a ton of fun bloodshed. All right. <laughs> Well, currently there isn't a premiere date for the series, but we do know it's going to debut sometime in 2022. All right, Christian. So we also got a trailer for Resident Evil. Welcome to Raccoon City. Why are you back here, Claire? Your conspiracies weren't true when we were kids. They're not true now. We need to expose Umbrella. Watch this. I'm afraid, Claire. I'm afraid of what they're going to do to this town. See, Umbrella, they have an incident. I'm talking Chernobyl, if you know what I mean. People are getting sick. You gotta help us, Claire. Let the world know what's really going on. All right, man. So this is definitely more your wheelhouse. Uh, what are your thoughts? You know what? I think I, I agree with my previous statements about what I heard with the synopsis and everything. They probably should have just focused on the mansion from the first game because this looks a little too ambitious for whatever they were trying to do. Uh, <laughs> whatever their budget is. Yeah. <laughs> is that what we're trying to get at? It looks I mean, like that, maybe it's a lower budget film mm-hmm. than the original like Resident Evil. Um, you know, but there's a charm to that right it could be fun still exactly i mean there's definitely scenes in this that look exactly like they're straight out of the game so i I can't complain on that level i applaud them also it seems like they do use a good amount of practical effects too when it comes Mm -hmm. to like the zombies maybe not so much the you know the bigger creatures um and maybe they bit off a little more than they could chew (laughs) but (laughs) doesn't mean that it won't be a good time but hey, I mean, this like material isn't my religion, you know? So, I mean, you tell me what you think, because like, I'm a simple man. I'm okay with some like, you know, gory B-movie zombie fun. I just feel like this looks like a good, I don't know, fan project rather than something I would want to run to the theaters for, you know? <laughs> like, I, I got excited when I heard that there was someone out there considering more of a like video game storyline um, and on the big screen rather than what we got with the previous film. Something that's more faithful to the actual, you know, the lore of the game. Um, but, but the scope of those games are huge. And to like really pull that off, you need to have the right kind of budget. Yes, but I think there's I think there's ways to get around it. Like even in this trailer, we see the fundamentals of that first game. You know, they're just going around the mansion. All they needed was an explosion. And then maybe the stuff underground would have been a little bit more on the higher budget side. But the mansion itself would have been an easy scare and I think an easy thing to go through. And that's like two acts of your film. You know, it's I I think that there's a more grounded approach than doing that and Raccoon City, which has a whole lot more shit to deal with. You know, it's so you would have kept it. You would have divided it up into two different like movies, basically. Yeah, you, you're I, saying I think just, they just bit off too much. Like, stay in the mansion, sell people on that film, and then if it's successful, maybe you get a bigger budget, and then you can tell, you know, the Raccoon City portion of the Funny story. enough, funny enough, this is exactly what happened with the games. They got way too big with what they were trying to do with the story, going all over the world and all this shit, and doing too many places, and then what they do, they brought it right back to one singular location everyone fucking loved it and that's how they've built their money off of at this point 
So, I mean, that's what I I hope for out of a film franchise. But it is what it is. I'm not going to complain until after I see the movie, right? <laughs> yeah, right. Well, like I said, I'm all for a zombie, you know, B-movie. But I can understand if you're a diehard fan, why you might be a little disappointed. You know, you're not getting something a little, I don't know, higher quality, yes. at least budget-wise. Because <laughs> who knows? I mean, they could knock it out of the park. It just might not have the greatest cgi no that that monster on the wall was horrible yeah I, I, a little unforgivable at this point uh, i don't even know what that's I mean, there's to a way be. to pull off that cgi like mm -hmm. you don't have to show the whole creature you can like hide it like you could hide bad cgi in shadows if you wanted to i mean but do you feel like fans would accept that I think they could get over it. I mean, Stranger Things season one was just like flashing lights in your face every five seconds. That's true. You know, and, true. and we all love it. But I mean, you I mean, you know, that fan that was based off of original material, though. Mm -hmm. Like, like, is, do you feel like the Resident Evil fan base, because they've seen so much with the video games and so much with the films, will they be OK with some of these like bigger like you know, iconic, you know, monsters not being fully shown. I don't I don't know, because we've already seen like even with those the, the previous films, they showed off pretty faithful looking monsters like the liquors in those films look exactly like the ones in the game. Mm -hmm. But I mean, it, it's with the best budget that they could at that time yeah. for yeah. CG. But those I are pretty know. big budget films. Yeah. So. <laughs> there's nothing that like takes me out of a movie like quicker than like bad cgi yeah so but i didn't grow up with that technology like you did so i don't know if you're more forgiving to it i don't know if listeners have caught any of my reviews they know i'm pretty harsh yeah no that's <laughs> true cgi <laughs> that's true like i'd much rather have you do just practical facts and just hide your weaknesses and you know mm -hmm. keep keep the shit in the shadows because i feel like a lot of times you're more scared by what you don't see let your imagination exactly. do the work well, Christian, I guess we'll get to find out for ourselves when Resident Evil Welcome to Raccoon City premieres in theaters November 24th. All right, like we said at the top of the show, it's time to talk some Venom. Let there be carnage. Warning spoiler alert. Minor spoilers for Venom 2 ahead. You have been warned. And now, our feature presentation. Go. Teddy Brock, tell the world there's gonna be carnage. You bet your ass. Eddie Brock attempts to reignite his career by interviewing a serial killer named Cletus Cassidy, who becomes the host of a symbiote himself, Carnage, and escapes prison after a failed execution. This film was directed by Andy Serkis and stars Tom Hardy, Woody Harrelson, and Michelle Williams. As we mentioned up top, I took one for the team this week and watched Venom for the show. Even though I didn't like the first film, there was still a small, and I mean very small, part of me that had hoped for, you know, a better film out of the sequel, especially with Woody Harrelson taking up the role of Carnage and Andy Serkis directing. But even low expectations couldn't prepare me for how little respect this film has for source material and even its already established characters as well. Let There Be Carnage as a whole can be described as lazy, where even its predecessor had multiple struggles and challenges for their characters. Everything about Let There Be Carnage just feels like they're coasting along with a film that they know will make them easy money. 
The film, as it should, focuses around Eddie and Venom's relationship, as they can be seen butting heads throughout the entire film in this kind of buddy cop dynamic. We're met with a lot of the same humor from the first film as we see Eddie trying to get, you know, a breaking story out of the death row inmate, Cletus Cassidy. Venom wants nothing more than to just eat brains and be a superhero and has this borderline 12 year old attitude about life in general, while at the same time, Eddie just wants to have a normal day for once in his life. While I do hate, and I mean hate, this portrayal of Venom being, you know, a tale of two losers, some of the best moments in this film were their attempts at comedy. But, you know, getting me to chuckle here and there isn't enough to make a good film. And having not liked the first film meant a lot of the, you know, callback jokes were big misses on me as well. But in the end, you came to see the birth of the homicidal maniac in Woody Harrelson's portrayal of Cletus Cassidy and Carnage. However, due to the overly playful nature of this version of Venom, you don't get that truly menacing villain from the comics. And if you're a fan of Carnage from the comics, you won't want to see what they did to your boy. Because, man, a soft PG-13 portrayal of the character just doesn't seem to work. While I can look past the action scenes a bit and understand why Carnage in this film isn't just, you know, licking and biting people's heads off. It just felt like a wasted opportunity when you cast someone, you know, the likes of Woody Harrelson, who we already know can play a crazy killer, and you just don't even, like, really ramp up the horror aspect when it comes to him. Cleus's murderous ways seem like such an afterthought the way that they wrote it in this film. We never really get a good idea of the amount of victims he actually had. Instead, they focus on his childhood and what made him into a murderer in his eyes, which I think was done to do this kind of through line that would connect it to the story that was going on between Eddie and Venom. But it seems like a lot of that just got dropped on the editing floor. And I say that because when they all wrapped it up in the end, I was just left confused by how I was supposed to feel about this version of Carnage. And as you've heard me say many times, with action films, sometimes you can actually look past a bad story for its awesome effects and fights. While I will say, you know, the CGI in this was on par with the previous film, I was kind of surprised by how little fighting there was this time around. In fact, there was really only like two or three big action sequences in the entire film, and because they definitely went more soft PG-13 this time around with their action, things weren't allowed to really get all that interesting to watch. Also, I'm wondering when we're gonna get past this point of using contacts in films, just straight up contacts, and not putting any type of effect layer on it or anything like that. Because God did Shriek's eye bother me the entire film. It's clearly just one white contact and it's so noticeable the entire time. It just looks like a cheap store bought one, nothing special at all. And speaking of the cutting room floor, I wonder if there was an entire act of this film cut out. It just really felt like this film was a beginning and an end. There was nothing that really felt like it ramped up to that fight between Venom and Carnage, which made that fight even more of a letdown in the end when it was only that and nothing more after it. On top of that, it just felt like the pace was lightning quick, as this movie is actually only an hour and a half, and you really felt that. Like, when I got out of the theater, I immediately checked to see how long I'd actually been in there, because it felt like I just, you know, sat through a quick hour-long show on television. But anyways, in conclusion, before you know, me and Damon actually talk the end credits scene and maybe a little bit about spoilers, somehow Venom Let There Be Carnage found a way to disappoint me even after going in with low expectations. And personally, I'm just, I'm just done with this portrayal of the character and I'm going to be giving this film a D minus. Warning spoiler alert, huge spoilers for Venom 2 ahead. Ending spoilers ahead, you have been warned. Well, Christian, after that, I'm definitely glad I didn't see the film. <laughs> Once again, thank you for taking one for the team. Um, all right. So but before we move on, 
spoilers for everyone who hasn't seen the film yet and, you know, don't want to deal with spoilers. Go ahead, skip ahead. I don't know, a couple minutes. I'm sure there'll be a timestamp, right, Christian? Yeah, there'll be a timestamp. Okay. And I'll probably put another sound warning just in case. Yes, okay. <laughs> Listen to the robot spoilers. <laughs> Let's go ahead and talk about that mid credit scene that, you know, everyone's buzzing about. So as we ended in the in the film, you know, they they're at some type of beach resort, whatever. It's very cheap hotel that they're at. Uh, they go inside the hotel. He's got the TV on. Um, you know, Venom starts spouting on about how like, oh, Eddie, you don't know how much, you know, knowledge we've all seen. We have a hive mind collective. All this bullshit doesn't really matter. Um, Eddie, <laughs> Eddie's like, sure, just uh, tell me, tell me about it. Show me like what you know information you have in your mind and he's like oh you couldn't handle it you know they they tease each other and eventually venom's like okay prepare yourself um as they're watching tv and out of nowhere the room starts to shake as eddie starts to like you know take in this knowledge now i don't know if this is going to change eddie at all but just like in this scene you know he's shaking and the room is also shaking and then out of nowhere there's a giant flash of light and then the, the entire room is different um, and apparently he's been moved over into the MCU universe. As we see on the television, as we see on the TV, there's J. Jonah Jameson giving the report of who killed Mysterio. And that's none other than Peter Parker, who they've unveiled as Spider-Man. And after that, we see Venom like saying, oh, who's that? And he starts licking the screen, showing a lot of interest in Peter. That's um, creepy. And of, yeah, I know. <laughs> and then out of nowhere, some dude comes out of the bathroom and like, who are you? And, you know, Venom's already disappeared and it's just Eddie there not knowing what the fuck just happened. So, and that's how it cuts away. The flash of light that happens, it's, mm -hmm. it, it's not, you don't think that's caused by what Venom is showing him, correct? I don't, because, mostly because Venom then like, actually says, like, I don't, I'm not causing this, you know, I don't okay. know where. Okay, gotcha, gotcha, I missed that. So then it's probably whatever spell Strange casts, you know, in the trailer I'm that we guessing. see. <laughs> so strange is probably somehow you know like we've kind of already theorized you know opened up the multiverse mm. you know and now venom is part of that you know so why do you think venom is so excited by you know seeing peter on the screen well i mean throughout this film you know he has this obsession with trying to eat villains just because eddie won't let him eat anybody in general unless they have done something wrong so that's probably his opportunity if he were to get to eat someone it'd be a criminal okay got you so it doesn't seem like he knows peter at all no because you know, you're saying he said who's that when he sees yeah, peter he, he just seems extra interested he's just turned on by him pretty uh -huh. much um <laughs> <laughs> uh, so i mean this has to mean that we're gonna actually see venom in no way home right i would imagine so but at the same time they could easily push this to another film if they wanted that's true like maybe he shows up like in the mid credit scene for that film yeah um if they don't like undo whatever strange does to the multiverse you know which i doubt that's going to be you know resolved you know in one film because we know like i mean dr strange's movies literally called the multiverse of madness so yes <laughs> He's still going to have some work to do after the Spider-Man film. Um, yeah, I mean, I guess that's true. Like, he doesn't necessarily have to pop up, although it does feel like there's room for him if they are doing a Sinister Sticks like storyline. Because in the trailer, we, we definitely see Dr. Octopus. 
we see, you know, a pumpkin bob, so that means Green Goblin's part of the film. Uh, we see some yellow lightning, so everyone's, you know, that's, and we know the rumor that Jamie Foxx is supposed to be, you know, in the movie also. So yeah. that seems to indicate that Electro's in the movie. There's that big sand cloud, so <laughs> that's probably Sandman. Who knows? Um, and then there's that weird image that people slow down that looks like, you know, possibly Lizard. But, I mean, could that be Venom? I mean, it's the right figure, right? Like, it's the right shape for Venom if it if it was going to be anything other than I mean, Lizard. it's something big. Um, mm. But it does... See, I don't know, because it does feel kind of camouflaged also. The way that you can kind of see through it. Unless they, you know, did that on purpose mm. not to reveal Venom. Because um, at first I was like, okay, well, that could be Lizard. Maybe that's a different power. I don't believe he had that power in Amazing Spider-Man. I mean, maybe he's like a chameleon. I don't know. Um, <laughs> I don't think he has that power. But I mean, maybe that's the deal. Um, or maybe they wanted to kind of like give us a hint that, you know, Venom's in the film, but not really, you know, truly show us Venom. Um, I mean, Marvel's done shit like that before. Uh, but yeah, I mean... I mean, there is, you know, a possibility that Venom's in this movie, but I, it feels like that if that's going to happen, we'll see him in the next trailer, I would yeah. assume. Um, but I mean, you're you're perfectly right. I mean, maybe it's just more of a case of them laying the groundwork for some kind of Venom Spider-Man film later on down the line. You know, I mean, maybe it, we even see Spider-Man in, you know, Venom 3. I definitely think it's possible. I just don't want it. <laughs> <laughs> Like I said in my review, I'm done. I mean, <laughs> could somehow, you know, the multiverse jump alter the character? If not that, I think whatever was going on with, you know, him showing all the like collective knowledge of all the symbiotes that could possibly change Eddie. Mm -hmm. I could definitely see that affecting the character a bit. Yeah. But I mean, if that's already in Venom's mind, then why isn't he a little bit more intelligent? I don't know. Yeah, uh, it's it just is what it is. I I can totally see this version of Venom also wanting to jump and leave Eddie to be with Spider-Man. Uh, OK, you don't feel like they bonded at this point. They have. And that's kind of the story of this one. Now that we're past um, fucking uh, spoiler threshold, that's definitely a big part of this one story is like showing how they are connected, you know, more than Cletus and um, Carnage was. So, okay. I, mean, that's, I mean, that's a big part of that ending, I guess. So in the comics, like Venom has been part of like the Sinister Six, albeit like briefly, because usually it never works out. Um, you know, he just doesn't play well with others. But like I could see it being kind of a scenario where like Venom thinking Spider-Man's the villain teams up with the rest of the villains not knowing any better and just being outsmarted by like Dr. Octopus and fucking you yes. know, Norman Osborn. <laughs> and then like after a little bit, he realizes, you know, he's on the wrong side and that Spider-Man's actually a hero and he ends up like teaming up with Spider-Man, you know, or the Spider-Men to take down, you know, the Sinister Six. Oh. <laughs> Just saying. <laughs> it all sounds great on paper. I but don't want to see it's, it. <laughs> it's, it's a really big movie. You know, it's a really big story to tell yes. in one movie. So I'm a little scared that they're going to try uh -huh. to cram all that in. Um, I'm with you. I'm kind of hoping that they maybe just save that, like, meeting between, like, you know, Peter Parker and Venom for another film. 
and they just let this film be its own thing um, because at this point it just feels like it's getting way too crowded uh-huh. so it is interesting to me that they're choosing the multiverse to introduce Venom into the MCU um, because we know that Sony and Marvel plan on like you know that character you know and Peter Parker's you know teaming up in other films and other projects um, so that to me implies that maybe some of the changes that are brought upon like you know with you know strange and loki like dabbling in the multiverse will actually end up being permanent i wonder if this is their way of signifying like okay now what sony works on will be a part of the mcu that's what i'm saying like Mm -hmm. if they're bringing those two worlds together like you know, are like, you know, are they going to pick and choose what they like keep around? I don't foresee like Alfred Molina like sticking around as like, you know, and the MCU's version of Dr. Octopus, but maybe I'm wrong. Um, you know, and I also don't see like William Defoe, you know, sticking around as you know, Green Goblin, but who knows? Maybe that is going to be a thing. Like I could see them introducing those characters, like new versions of those characters, you know, somewhere down the line. But maybe that's what, like, you know, Sony and Kevin Faki want. But I'm also not extremely excited by the idea when I see movies like this that are, you know, D minus quality. <laughs> I have to imagine, like, when it comes to anything that involves Spider-Man, Kevin Foggy is going to have a big say in. So I think we're kind of protected in that way. You know, especially since the character is such a big part of the MCU. Well, no, exactly. I mean, they they pretty much gave him the keys to Iron Man's castle. Yeah, so. right. I mean, they really did set him up to, you know, steal a wrestling term, you know, Marvel's ace. Like, he's going to be, like, their top character, you know, top hero for the future. Well, we don't have long to wait to find out what the future of Spider-Man holds, as we'll see the next one on December 17th. All right, Christian, so this week you finished the series that's been just the talk of the nation. So let's hear your review for Squid Game. Squid Game helped me realize why there probably aren't too many spoilers for the show online, as the front end of Huang Dong Yu's series definitely feels more exciting as we get introduced to a world filled with economic disparities and 456 people that need to earn some cash quick. Of course, these unfortunate souls find themselves fighting for their lives inside elementary school games where if you lose, you die, though with the hope of earning billions of won in the process. The show starts off with several big moments throughout the first few episodes that really get you hooked in, but I think what the show really surprised me with was how into these characters I became. Their stories and reasons for being in this situation sucked me in and almost became more important than the games themselves. Which brings me back to my original statement as the games in this show go from the most exciting parts to more of a vehicle for the characters personal stories which I think was handled expertly as 
as I never wanted to stop watching and seeing what would happen next either way. Performances across the board were all stellar. Even though the main character's forced optimism can get a bit exhausting, I think his overall journey was worth the investment. All in all, I think this is one of those series I'm going to have to highly recommend for our listeners, and I'm also curious to see you know, if there will actually be a second season or not. But for now, I leave Squid Game with an A-. And now a message from our sponsor, Manscaped. Do you know what's spookier than seeing a black cat on Halloween? It's shaving your balls with anything other than Manscaped. When it comes to your blow-the-waist grooming, there's no need to carve your pumpkins this Halloween because Manscaped is here to upgrade your grooming experience. Go from a bite-sized candy bar to a king-sized candy bar and join the 2 million men worldwide by going to manscaped.com for 20% off plus free shipping with the code 20AMAZING. Christian, I know when I shave, I don't want my experience to be like a bloodbath from Psycho. That's why I saved the horror show for the big screen and I groom with Manscaped. Have you ever tried to trim your balls and it turned into a Freddy film? Well, luckily Manscaped is here to save the day and make sure you're smelling fresh with their new refined body wash. Fellas, the ladies love their signature scent and it will scare away those vampires. Unlock your confidence with the Performance Package 4.0. Inside, you'll find the holy grail of men's grooming items. They made it easy for you to upgrade your grooming routine. It's a full moon out and the werewolf in your pants is Holly. It's time to tackle that problem with the Lawnmower 4.0. Their finely tuned pube products feature a cutting edge ceramic blade to reduce grooming accidents thanks to their advanced skin safe technology. The Lawnmower 4.0 is easily the greatest ball trimmer on the planet. Oh, did I mention this trimmer is waterproof too? This trimmer is a shower essential. The Performance Package 4.0 also includes the Weed Wagger a total game changer to your men's hygiene arsenal. The Weed Whacker is a nose and ear hair trimmer that provides skin safe technology that help prevents nicks, snags, and tugs in those delicate holes. Seal the deal with Manscaped's liquid formulations. Their Crop Preserver Ball Deodorant and Crop Reviver Ball Toner will make sure your pumpkins stay fresh. Trust me when I say this, fellas, your balls will thank you. Hey, Manscaped even threw in two free gifts to the Performance Package 4.0. The Manscaped Boxers and the Shed Travel Bag. Bring your comfort in boxers to another level. And if you're looking like Wolverine and haven't cut those nails recently, be sure to look into the Shears 2.0 Nail Kit. They also have a bunch of other life-changing products on their website, so be sure to check it out. That's right, listeners. Get 20% off plus free shipping with the code 20amazing at manscaped.com. Again, that's 20% off plus free shipping when you use our code 20amazing at checkout on manscaped.com. Say trick-or-treat to your beautiful new Halloween with Manscaped. Well, Christian, all good things eventually have to come to an end. This past week, we got the season finale of Marvel's What If. Warning, spoiler alert. Major spoilers for Marvel's What If. You have been warned. It's you again. You have been chosen for a mission that is both highly dangerous and absolutely necessary for the continuation of life as you know it. I scoured eternity for one true hero. This mission requires a team, the perfect combination of skills and experience that alone will triumph. You aren't just our best hope to save one universe. You are my last hope to save all of them. You are the guardians of the multiverse. 
Is there a universe of Chinese food that has alternate dimension delivery? Tommy's getting rumbly. Well, finally, the Watcher has broken his oath, and instead of watching whole civilizations get wiped out, the Watcher puts together a team to stop Ultron. And while there definitely were a couple things here and there that kind of bothered me about this episode, I do think it was a great cap to this season. And again, the action scenes were just knocked out of the park. God bless the MCU's animation team for this season. Damon, what did you think? I thought this was one hell of an episode. I thought it was super cinematic um, and a great finale for the season. Uh, but we'll give our you know overall thoughts later on for the entire series. Starting off, the grand finale throws us right back to where it all began as we follow Peggy Carter into battle, seeing her go on the same mission that kicks off the Winter Soldier film. However, during a fight with Batrock, we see none other than the Watcher here to recruit Peggy for his team. This begins a montage of the Watcher picking up different members for the team as we then see T'Challa as Star-Lord saving Peter Quill from his dad, Ego the Living Planet, and getting picked up by the Watcher out of nowhere. So, I mean, we definitely kind of speculated that this would happen, that they would revisit, you know, these moments somewhere down the line um, with how, like, some of those previous episodes kind of, like, ended so open to more stories. So it definitely makes more sense. So I'm glad that they gave us a kind of look of what was like going to happen next. Next, Gamora, who is with Tony Stark on Nidvalir, um, which is the realm Thor goes to craft Stormbreaker during Infinity War. We can see this duo breaking down um, Thanos' gauntlet, while Tony asks if there's some way to put armor around the galaxy, clearly not having dealt with Ultron in this universe. But again, these two are interrupted as the Watcher picks up Gamora for his team. So this moment definitely like stood out to me because this is like the one character that we hadn't been introduced to before. And they've got a huge MacGuffin that could obviously end things when it comes to their current dilemma. I was definitely annoyed by this at first. Um, but then I guess there's a rumor that they originally were planning on telling this story. But then COVID happened and they had to kind of shorten the season, uh, unfortunately. So, and there, I mean, there's even like a Lego set that like yeah. involves these <laughs> characters, you know, Iron Man, this version of Iron Man and Gamora. So it is a little strange. You know, where, like, we've got this, like, connective tissue. We've, like, met all these other characters, you know. But this is the one character, like, we have literally no connection to whatsoever. Like, we don't even know, like, the backstory of, like, how she ended up defeating Thanos. And, you know, what the fuck exactly is this doohickey she has? Exactly. Um, I don't know. Just because, you know, we, we got this episode with Thor. And I just don't know what the timeline was. But I feel like you could have easily have just been like, oh, yeah, and this is party Thor. Like, I would have rather had this Gamora episode than have that episode. But maybe they already <laughs> had that episode in the exactly. can and then shit happened, you know? So, so yeah, I don't know the timeline of what yeah, how they made the show. Yeah, exactly. So, so I mean, maybe I'm sure more information about that will eventually leak hmm. out. Um, but yeah, no, it, it was a little weird to have her be such a big part of like the team uh -huh. and the plaid. <laughs> and like, this is the first we've ever seen of her. And a very questionable decision, if you ask me, we see the Watcher pick up Killmonger from this season right before Pepper and Shuri can like, actually come and confront him. Um, and then he picks up Thor, who is already doing his best to fight Ultron before he ruins Vegas. I'm sure like the choice has more to do with the fact that, you know, Killmonger is so formidable that, you know, obviously he's going to do whatever it takes to make sure that, you know, Ultron isn't going to destroy the multiverse. Um, and then the Watcher probably figures he's going to be able to deal with him, you know, at the end, you know, with the consequences. But we'll obviously see if that does work out that way. 
I hear you, but at the same time, like there's a throwaway line that will happen later on in the show where uh, the Watcher says, I scoured through all the multiverse to find the perfect heroes. I'm like, still Killmonger was there wasn't <laughs> one person better. Not one. And we didn't get one person from our version of the MCU. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> but I don't know. I mean, maybe it has something to do with like our version of the MCU like being like you know the prime universe so that's why he can't fuck with it i don't know i'm i'm now writing for them so uh-huh. <laughs> i'm doing the work for them so that's never a good thing but i mean the watcher does have a line kind of implying that he knew like the, how this team would also work together so maybe it's just you know these different characters and their personality just being like the perfect match Okay, I'm still right. I'm still writing for them. You can keep making excuses. <laughs> he does say something like that, though. It's not an excuse. Whatever. <laughs> it, it's bullshit. He doesn't know what he's talking about. <laughs> anyway. This group of multiversal variants find themselves in a bar designed after the one we saw Peggy and Steve share a drink in during the first episode, um, with Evil Strains explaining they're in a pocket dimension. While the group gets restless about being, you know, ported away to this pocket dimension for no reason, we get Killmonger looking at a deactivated Ultron head fairly menacingly before we actually get some type of explanation from the Watcher. The Watcher going on to actually explain that the entire multiverse is in peril and that this team was hand chosen to save it. And so we get the guardians of the multiverse. With even more explanation from the Watcher, the team learns of what they're up against in this version's Ultron. We get glimpses of their planning process with Gamora unveiling an Infinity Crusher designed to destroy the stones. And before we know it, the team heads out to another universe which inhabits very few people as to, you know, limit the amount of damage that they're about to do in this fight with Ultron. I enjoyed this moment. I just wish there was more of it. Just kind of seeing like the team bond. But I mean, that's Mm. been a complaint we've had this entire season where there just doesn't feel like there's enough time, you know, to tell the full story properly. So it's funny because like even Thor in that scene is like, can you explain the plan again? And they kind of just cut away. And I'm like, I don't really know what this plan is. You have a stone crusher and you're going to go to another planet or universe. And that's kind of the surprise, man. I know. Because <laughs> we kind of cut in the middle of the plan, right? Yeah, they, they're already yeah. talking so about they're, it when we get saving, into it. Man. It's supposed to be a surprise. So you sure. really wanted them to break down the entire fucking plan, Christian? No, but I wanted I wanted to have some form of grasp of what was going to, like, what they wanted to do. Sure, okay. <laughs> I would have much rather see the team bond, but, you know, you want them to get a giant chalkboard out and explain everything. Like, it's the fucking A-team. I want both. <laughs> Before Ultron appears, we get another couple, you know, little final moments between all the team members, you know, with Gamora actually showing signs of not trusting Killmonger. Doctor Strange doesn't seem to, you know, be fully stable with all his powers and abilities. And, well, Thor just ready to just have another party at this point. But in the end, it's not too long after a poor attempt to rally the team by, you know, evil Doctor Strange. Ultron makes himself known and the battle truly begins. And that's probably the very reason... They didn't bother sh- telling you the plan because it all goes out the window because Ultron just shows up. I, I, there, See? sure. <laughs> uh-huh. <laughs> I swear I'm not on Marvel's payroll. <laughs> oh, also good on Gamora for having more sense than the Watcher, you know, not trusting Killmonger. But, uh, you know. But maybe, maybe the Watcher 
assume that. Like she would keep an eye on. <sighs> sure, David. <laughs> <laughs> like, am I gonna get like a portion of this money, like under the table, <laughs> <Fuck> or? <that. laughs> I'm the one doing all the work. <laughs> Apparently. <laughs> The team now loaded up with protection spells thanks to Strain sends off Killmonger and Gamora to another universe while Thor already deviates from their plan and fires lightning off at Ultron with no effect. But this doesn't discourage the team as we get cool team attacks on Ultron with T'Challa being able to get close enough to steal the Soul Stone. Before Ultron can stop T'Challa from getting away though, Strange drops an army of zombies from the zombie universe onto Ultron, and within this horde is none other than the zombie Scarlet Witch, but even she turns out not to be strong enough to hold down Ultron for very long. Yeah, it almost felt like she was distracted when she realized that he was wearing Vision's body. Oh, you know what? I didn't put that together. That would have been great to. That would have been a great thing to pay attention to. I yeah, didn't you're too busy that. bitching. <laughs> <laughs> that makes more sense. I do. I was upset that it wasn't Zombie Thanos, though. I was upset that he didn't show up. I, I mean, you're right. You're not wrong. I mean, that would have been awesome. Um, I did just love the fact that it was raining zombies. That was that was a fantastic moment. The team, having escaped to another universe, finds themselves in Ultron's original universe and have now run into Black Widow, who isn't sure if she can trust the Guardians of the Multiverse. But it would be Peggy, who is friends with Natasha in her own universe, who was able to spark that friendship with this version of Black Widow and gain her trust just before Ultron catches up with them so i'm not gonna lie like at this point in the episode like i totally forgot about like the whole black widow you know with the zola laced arrow <laughs> so i mean i was super happy to see her like join the team ultron already frustrated by this team just decides to send off another galaxy destroying blast but this time it's stopped by Doctor Strange, who literally eats it in badass fashion. Again, we get a bunch of new team attacks between all of our new members of the Guardians of the Multiverse in an attempt to keep the Soul Stone away from Ultron. The barrage almost seems like it's enough to actually stop Ultron, but he ends up using the Time Stone to stop them from actually ripping him in two. However, he's not the only one with this ability as Doctor Strange now uses his own Time Stone to continue the flow of time, releasing everyone from Ultron's grasp. Doctor Strange doesn't stop just there though. He unleashes all of that evil octopus that's inside him to actually stop Ultron from being able to get to the stone. This move by Strange creates an opening for Gamora to use the stone crusher on Ultron as the team does everything to hold Ultron down. But we quickly find out that the Infinity Crusher won't work on this universe's stones as it was built for her own universe instead. Now a lot of people were discussing this whole issue with the Infinity Stones online, I guess, uh, since last week's episode. Uh, and the writer like chimed in into like one of the Twitter threads, I guess, and kind of tried to explain what exactly was going on with Vision. Because we talked about it last episode. It's like, well, why isn't Vision, like why is Vision even having to battle anyone? You know, like, why can't he mm. just access the power and basically do what Thanos does and like, you know, snap everything away? Um, you know, in a simple thought, I mean, in the comics, like, or e even in the movies, we see Thanos literally being able to turn beans into like fucking bubbles. So I guess the writer AC Bradley saying that Ultron is using the stones to fuel him. He's not actually tapping into the individual stones powers. 
So it's more of like a battery, I'm guessing, to make him all powerful. Mm. Um, and then the reason why they're working in different realities, and I don't know if I buy this next part at all, um, is because when Ultron and the Watcher are battling and they're kind of going through these different realities, they're literally smashing through the wall of the realities and like combining like the multiverses. So that's why he's able to still access the power. Now, I feel like in this episode, like I, well, I guess their final battle takes place on his Earth, correct? So I feel like this is definitely a little convoluted here because, I mean, it, it feels like at some point in this episode, he's in a different universe that's not his own. So, like, his power shouldn't necessarily work the same if that's the case. Like, if they're going by what they've established with the stones in the past. Mm -hmm. um, now, the final battle does take place in his universe. So, the stone should work the same. Um, but, yeah, no. This is worse than trying to unravel fucking time travel, honestly. <laughs> like... <laughs> They need to really just kind of establish like how these stones work in the MCU. But I, I mean, I guess they don't have to anymore because they don't even exist in the MCU. So, but wouldn't the stones still be in existence? Because Cap just puts them back in place. But that's all in the past because mm -hmm. like everything has to happen with a snap still. Ah, yes. It's a fixed point it's in time. It's a fixed too. point in time. So that's mm -hmm. why Captain America has to put them back you know, where they originally got them. Because every those events still have to take place. But Thanos does eventually, you know, snap them out of existence at the end. Gotcha. Yeah. Once again, what a fucking headache. <laughs> <laughs> With Ultron again blasting the hell out of the Guardians of the Multiverse, we see the protection spells beginning to fade. Black Widow then devises a plan with Peggy for them to use Arnim Zola, who is still on that Arrow USB, to infect Ultron. With barely any time left to really stop Ultron, Widow and Peggy find themselves flying through the air. Peggy flying to the back of Ultron is able to rip off his mask long enough for Widow to fire off the arrow and get it plugged into his eye. Ultron confused by what's happened then hears the voice of Arnim Zola in his own head. The attack from the inside actually deactivating Ultron once and for good. But unfortunately this reprieve from Ultron's assault doesn't last very long as Killmonger using Ultron's head is able to take Ultron's form and armor to gather all the stones. Yeah, someone should have definitely been watching Killmonger a little closer here. Uh-huh. <laughs> <laughs> but apparently the Watcher felt like they needed him on the battlefield, I guess. Like, I was expecting him to maybe have a bigger moment where, like, you know, he, he kind of shows his worth. Um, and then also, I was expecting the Watcher to get involved here. Yes. Right? Because couldn't if he stepped in like and, like, stopped Killmonger from getting the stones because that's what i thought was going to happen like okay now that the team has done all the work the watcher will step in and stop you know killmonger from you know possessing these stones i mean unless he somehow saw like you know zola coming into the picture and getting involved but like that also once again like why isn't the watcher like he already broke his oath here like why yes. isn't he just part of the team <laughs> <laughs> helping out because he was able to go toe it's in to the name of the episode because <laughs> he was able to go toe to toe with him you know pretty much last episode 
So mm -hmm. like you would think, you know, the Watcher with this like, you know, Guardians of the, you know, multiverse team would be enough to take out Ultron. I mean, maybe he was, you know, too weak at this point after, you know, the battle from last episode. But, you know, that's me once again making excuses for them. Because um, that does feel like kind of a big plot hole. You know, like, why wouldn't he... Like, if he could put together his team and if he could fight Ultron last episode, why can't he be involved in the final battle? So, I mean, maybe he was feeling guilty and he felt like he has, you know, sit this one out and revert back to his oath. I don't know, man. Killmonger, who at first attempts to show why they may need to use the stones to give them all their, you know, greatest wishes, ultimately turns on the group when they do not side with him. But before he can use the actual power of the stones, Arnim Zola, within the body of Vision, is able to stop Killmonger by trying to reclaim control of Ultron's armor. This ends up in a kind of stun lock battle as both Arnim and Killmonger struggle to claim the suit and stones. Doctor Strange then traps both of them inside of a pocket dimension with the help of the Watcher as Arnim and Killmonger fight over the stones for eternity. With the battle won, the Watcher then gives the task of actually watching over this pocket dimension to evil Doctor Strange before having to actually send back all the heroes to their own dimensions. All the heroes ultimately decide to go back to their homes except one. Black Widow, who actually stands up to the Watcher, has nothing left to return to in that universe that was destroyed by Ultron. But when the Watcher forces her out of the safety of the pocket dimension, Widow doesn't find herself in that Age of Ultron universe anymore. Instead, she finds herself in a world where their Black Widow had died, and now has a second chance of being able to assist Nick Fury and the Avengers once more as they take on Loki in the closing moments of this season. But what's a Marvel project without an after credit scene? No, we get one more moment with Peggy as they discover a Hydra Stomper within Batrock's cargo ship and apparently someone's alive inside of it. Who could that be? So in the second season, are we going to get that Winter Soldier version of, you know, Steve Rogers that we're hoping for in that first episode? I hope so, but at the same time, if the Hydra Stomper is there, is it still Scrawny Steve inside? Is it going to be Scrawny Winter Soldier? Like, <laughs> who knows, right? <laughs> I guess we'll just have to wait and see. And we can both agree, right, that it's just a horrible idea to have Killmonger and Zola, like, you know, in this pocket reality, battling each other with, you know, evil Doctor Strange watching over them. Like, I yeah. mean, they're eventually going to figure things out and team up together to break out. Like, I mean... That's something that's happening in season two, right? You, you would have to imagine, like, maybe he's going to come out some weird fucking, like, Killmonger, Ultron hybrid mm. with Arnim Zola. Right. Uh, it's, <laughs> I don't know. Um, at the same time, you would think Doctor Strange would, I don't know, use the Time Stone to just keep them trapped. But I, it didn't seem like he used any type of ability like that. Yeah, because you would think that. And I don't know how this all works, Christian. I mean, who who uh. does? <laughs> Apparently, Marvel doesn't necessarily understand either, but you would think that he would do something where they'd just be kind of in a time loop in that pocket reality. And maybe he did. I don't know. But, I mean, it feels like something we're going to definitely revisit in the future. But honestly, like, I'm okay if we don't, because what a fucking headache with these stones. I mean, the multiverse <laughs> alone is, like, hard to wrap your head around, but, like... When you throw in the Infinity Stones and all the different possibilities, it's it's almost just too much. Like, I thought time travel was bad, man. <laughs> <laughs> 
I mean, God, Doctor Strange has to be the most powerful being in the Marvel Universe. This version of Doctor well, Strange. Well, I mean, he literally destroyed his own universe. So, yeah. Right. Yeah. And he consumed a full blast of from the Infinity Stone. So, I mean, if he's channeling that plus everything mm -hmm. else, I mean, I wonder if there's ever a chance we'll ever see him in live action then. I don't know. I mean, I love this version of the character, so it would be kind of cool to see him kind of like briefly pop up in like the multiverse of madness to like warn strange, you know, <laughs> like not to fuck around with the multiverse. I mean, we talked about it before. I would love to see a live action version of Captain Carter. I think mm -hmm. that would be amazing. Yes. And we, you've definitely fanned out plenty of times where you want Marvel zombies to show yes. up. <laughs> <laughs> I'd love a whole fucking movie with them, but exactly. you know, like I said, I feel like it's probably going to just be a cameo here and there. Um, uh -huh. But no, I, w I would be down for an entire fucking movie. So, I mean, regardless of all the plot holes this episode that we've kind of like started to unravel as we've gone along here, I still really enjoyed it. Um, and I thought it was a finale worthy of a really strong season. Yeah, overall, I can't complain with, you know, just how cool some of these fights were and just, you know, getting to see these guys team up was, was definitely worth these like two episodes that we got. I, I, I wish there was more of a through line throughout the entire season, but that's, you know, it, there was already so much going on per episode. They were trying to do so much yes. <laughs> to like build this up. So I, I get it. I get why we got what we got. I mean, got. hopefully, you know, they learn from this, though, and they're able mm -hmm. to kind of expand the second season. Because if the rumors are true, that was actually the plan. Um, like, these episodes were supposed to be longer, and we were supposed to have more of them. So hopefully, with the success of this first season, I think right now, like, I mean, it's critically acclaimed. I think it's got like a 95% on Rotten Tomatoes. So, I mean, with that, Hopefully they go back to the original plan and, you know, give us a bigger season. All right, Christian. So the moment of truth is here with the season done with. Let's go ahead and give our overall grades uh, for the first season of Marvel's What If. Christian, how are you grading this one? I think as someone who watches a lot of animation and a lot of anime and stuff like that, I've seen quite a few like anthology series and stuff like that. And I've seen how shows can use that 30 minute structure a little bit, a little bit better. But at the same time, like I understood what they were trying to do with this show and mm -hmm. what we got with each and every single episode, I thought had enjoyable storylines, except for maybe the Thor one. So <laughs> beyond that, I, I did enjoy that. And the animation itself, you know, brought it to another level. You know, some of these characters looked spot on to their movie counterparts. And at the same time, we're doing things that, you know, their movie counterparts probably could never do <laughs> no matter what kind of effects they threw on it. So I was incredibly impressed on that front. Um, I, I, I just wanted more. And I, that can also be a good thing in some ways. You know, you want to see more from the show in general. Um, I will be giving it a solid B, though. So I definitely agree when it comes down to the animation. I thought it was just breathtaking. Um, and like the action sequences were super cinematic, mm -hmm. um, just really well done. Um, 
And like we previously said, it seems like things didn't necessarily go as planned, you know, mm -hmm. for Marvel uh, when making the show. So hopefully they're able to iron out some of those kinks with the second season. Um, but I enjoyed the storylines. I liked kind of the carefree nature of the show. I know that sounds weird because of like how dark the tone was in certain episodes, <laughs> but it's more just the fact that we are able to kind of experiment with these characters in ways that we wouldn't be able to in like the MCU proper it was just yes. a fun time, you know? <laughs> Uh, and really just kind of captured the spirit of the original like what if comics so um with that being said i think i'm going to go ahead i'm going to give the series a b plus because i think they really like utilize the concept well to tell like some great stories and to introduce like some really interesting versions of these characters and i'm just hoping that we get more of that next season and now it's time for an extra spooky edition of Christian's Corner. It's always fun to picture what you would do in a horror film situation, and horror video games are the best way to scratch that itch. Getting to literally run from some of the most menacing bastards out there can be the thrill of a lifetime, but just like any film or media, a forgettable antagonist can ruin the best of experiences. But over the years, game developers have created some of the most haunting beings ever existed, with the sole purpose of torturing you, the player. And in today's Christian's Corner, we're going over my personal top five horror game villains of all time. But first I want to start by saying I haven't played every horror game out there. So if there is a horrifying villain you think belongs on this list, let me know in our socials. That's at Amazing Nerd Show. And for a big honorable mention, I have to give the Xenomorph from Alien Isolation a shout out as I've only just now started playing the game, but my God, is it terrifying in just how accurate to the Alien films that game is. Let alone the stalking mechanic of the Xenomorph is unbelievably terrifying and leads to unexpected scares that will haunt you but you can watch me shit my pants live on saturdays as i continue my adventures in alien isolation on twitch now let's start this list number five resident evil 2's mr x help each other out shit it's coming what what's coming come on come on don't be an asshole hey you need this just get me the fuck out of here Starting off my list of horror villains is the iconic menace that is Mr. X. Whether you're playing the original Resident Evil 2's B story or the remake, T-00, better known as Mr. X, will make you scream at least once during your playthrough of the game. The presentation of Mr. X is what makes him such a standout compared to most stalker-like enemies in horror games. From the iconic music to the sound design behind his march towards you, all were designed in a way that brings you pure anxiety when he is near. In fact, if I heard those footsteps right now, I'd probably run from my mic. While Mr. X is far from the only tyrant in Resident Evil, his menacing nature, design, and placement in Resident Evil 2 makes him one of the scariest of all the tyrants. Number 4. Outlasts Chris Strong Fat Walker. Little Faith. <laughs>
while I have gone down on record of not being the biggest fan of found footage films, the games that they ended up inspiring probably ended up scaring me the most when it comes to horror game genres. And there's no evil smiling face more terrifying than Chris Walker's in Outlast. Especially looking through a night vision camera, the grotesque Chris Walker visually was the most rememberable face in the Outlast franchise. While Mr. X had that Michael Myers stalking walk, Chris Walker would literally barrel down on you the moment he saw you, which made for some heart attack moments. If being trapped in a fucked up asylum wasn't enough, now I have to deal with a horror movie version of Brock fucking Lesnar, ready to rip me out of whatever hiding spot I'm in? Out of all the villains in Outlast, my interactions with Chris Walker felt the most terrifying. In both situations of being in the dark and in the light and not having any way to fight back made Chris Walker's appearances bone-shakingly scary. On top of that, he is not a silent villain. No, he's got plenty to say, mocking you with his insane rants as he hunts you down. All in all, making for one hell of a horror villain. Number 3. P.T.'s Lisa To this day, P.T. is probably one of the scariest experiences anyone got a chance to play. Unfortunately, Kojima's masterpiece of a demo for what would have been the Silent Hill sequel is unavailable for download as far as I'm aware. And those of you who didn't get a chance to play it missed out on one hell of an antagonist. Lisa is not only disturbing visually, but is creepy down to every single detail. The unexplained nature of this character has also only heightened the legend of her villainous ways as no no one knows the full story behind Lisa and what her possible role in Silent Hill could have been. In recent years, more discoveries about this 2014 demo have come out showing that she is literally on your back the entire time, which watching that footage sent shivers down my own spine. This demo will live in infamy as what may be one of the most horrifying games ever. Number 2. Resident Evil 7's Jack Baker do I have your attention, boy? You're about to see some wonderful... Oh. Fuck! Resident Evil, as we mentioned before, has some of the best stalker villains in horror game history, but none quite as charismatic yet terrifying as Jack Baker. Resident Evil 7 captured that disgusting grime feeling you get from watching a movie like you know the original Texas Chainsaw, and its villains perfectly embody that feeling. Though the character that frightened me the most was Jack and his unnerving attitude towards pain. On top of that, his stalker mechanics felt like more of a random set, and even like human-like at times in the way that he would search for you. With upgraded visuals, Resident Evil 7 is a game you can easily get immersed in. However, that's definitely not a house I'd ever want to visit. Jack Baker himself may not be 100% a villain, but when he's hunting you, it is one scary thing to be a part of. Number 1. Silent Hill 2's Pyramid Head
character that represents one's own desire for misery and to be tortured or punished, Pyramid Head may be truly the most terrifying video game character of all time. While later iterations attempted to make Pyramid Head a more disturbing monster, the original is still a mysterious being who was purposely designed to invoke a feeling of dread or despair. Fighting Pyramid Head is never a fun experience. The tension you get throughout the Silent Hill experience makes fighting a being like Pyramid Head so much more unnerving. While his unique while his unique design made him a horror game icon, those who have played the game may have come to many conclusions, but ultimately understand there, there's definitely much more to this character and its story than just being a horror game villain. And for all those reasons have made him truly unforgettable. I highly recommend playing Silent Hill games. I highly, I highly recommend playing the Silent Hill games, though they're not for the faint of heart. One of them stole, took the camera, hijacked the camera. You can count the numbers. You heard what Alex said. I'm, they're not freaking fooling me what's going on here. All right, Christian, so it's Wednesday, so you know what that means. We just watched us some AEW Dynamite, uh, and it was the second anniversary show, which is just crazy to think that the show's already been around for two years. I mean, time just flies by. No, exactly. It, it, two years ago, we would never saw this show getting to the like reaches that it has at this point. I never imagined AEW becoming this big and this successful. Well, I'm happy that it is, though. Yeah, no, especially this quickly. Yes. Um, especially with the giant fucking roster it has <laughs> and the names they've collected over you know the past two years. Just insanity. So also WWE had a draft this past week, but you know what, Christian? We're not gonna talk about that. No, yeah. I didn't watch either one of the episodes. <laughs> no, I don't feel bad at all about it. Um, you know, from what I hear, it was a complete mess. Um they're just kind of making things up as they go along. And I don't know. I'm just I'm over the brand split. So apparently they just dismantled the entire women's tag division. Oh, like there's only one established tag team left. Um, I started reading some of the draft picks, like the order that they had him alone, like had me like scratching my head. So I just stopped reading it. I was like, I'm done. I'm <laughs> and then I found out, too, that the draft doesn't even go into effect to like after Crown Jewel, which is like late October. So I don't even know what the point is, especially since like Survivor Series and you get, you know, both rosters showing up on each other's shows like throughout the entire month. So I, and this is all shit we talked about last last year. Yeah, I was going to say that. I was like, this is all very much deja vu at this point. Yes, so. yes. But apparently they decided not to fix anything. And, you know, I'm still sitting here not caring. So let's go ahead and let's talk dynamite. Well, on tonight's show, we had the super elite going up against the American Dragon, Brian Danielson, Christian Cage and Jurassic Express. So this was just an awesome way to start off the show. Um, complete fucking chaos, but I mean, you couldn't take your eyes off the screen. Um, rules be damned. It feels like everyone was in the ring at once more than they weren't. Um, but you know, whatever. 
with with a what was this like an eight man tag? Yes. <laughs> yes. So it is what it is. Uh, I do agree with Jim Ross, though. I think he's mentioned in the past when they do have these like giant tag matches, they should have at least two referees. Uh, but, you know, it is what it is. You could tell like how much fun like the Super Elite are having together and everything. Um, Jungle Boy was just a fucking workhorse like throughout this entire match. Like, I feel like he was in the ring the majority of the time for his team. Mm-hmm. Um, but he did nothing but shine. Uh, it's just amazing, like, how much he's grown as a wrestler over the last two years. It really is. Um, you know, especially you, because you figure, too, like, AEW, they're not working house shows and shit. And they also had a fucking pandemic. You know? mm-hmm. So, I mean, he's getting a limited amount of, like, ring time. But, I mean, I, I'm guessing it's just, like, working with these experienced pros have just, you know, brought out the best in him. No, like, I finally caught up and saw the match from last week as well. And I just, I, I, can only agree with you more. I mean, he just looks amazing in the ring every single time he gets in. And these matches that he's having against, like, the Young Bucks and the Elite and stuff like that are only going to elevate him further. I mean, I can't imagine what, like, him and, you know, MJF are going to do in the future when they have another match, you know? Yeah. No, I agree. I agree. Um, I love uh, Brian's uh, chop slash uh, kick routine now he's doing (laughs) the whole like mix of woos and yeses that the crowd does along with it is just amazing um and it's just so fun having a ring general like brian there you know kind of like directing everything i also love every time brian is no selling like people's kicks on him and and Uh he just is pulling off that whole badass routine yes. it's uh it's so great to see him just unleashed <laughs> like even though his chest is literally like on fire uh-huh. and bleeding <laughs> but he's just he is such a high motor mm. you know I, it, you know it's just so fun to watch him completely like off the leash now um but yeah no this is a great match i was a little concerned for christian at one point uh you know they did a whole injury angle and at first i wasn't sure if it was real but then the way they were working around him i was like okay this has to like be part of the story um i do wish the commentators would have emphasized that more though Mm. because i feel like it was kind of the way a way of giving like the baby face team and out for losing the match you know them being down you know one man but i i don't feel like they went back to that when christian was out of the ring so i'm hoping that he's not actually legitimately hurt so uh he took he took a Meltzer driver actually on the outside of the ring so um but i don't know it, it does feel like it was part of the story at least to me i'm sure he's gonna be fine hopefully maybe maybe he'll play into that eventual turn like you know he he blames one of them for his his like you know his injury his injury i don't know (laughs) maybe we'll see i i'm still expecting his you know turn to come from like jealousy of like jungle boys like rise in Mm -hmm. AEW. Um, and then they could work like a prolonged program together. Uh, but it does seem like Jungle Boy is going to be working with Adam Cole a little longer. Also, oh, okay. by the way, this match ended. Just the fact that he took another pin from Adam Cole. Uh, I, I don't know. I, I don't feel like they're going to allow Jungle Boy to like lose twice and like for that to go unanswered here. Because that's back-to-back weeks that he's lost to Adam Cole. So um, I feel like Jungle Boys, you know, has like a big win coming against Cole sometime soon. But like I said, this was the perfect way to like start off the night, you know, high energy and just once again, super fun. Well, speaking of super fun, CM Punk came out and again danced with the entire crowd. Yeah, 
this is getting kind of old. I know he asked this to the crowd, like, is this getting old yet? <laughs> and I love Punk. I'm super happy that he's here. But at the same time, I need to see him in a feud now. You know, and I was kind of thinking that's where they're headed with the whole Team Taz angle. I was guessing that he would be moving on to Ricky Starks next. And maybe that's still in the cards, but we know Starks is working Cage on Rampage this week. So maybe after that, maybe that's why that hasn't moved forward yet. Um, but Punk is going to have a match against uh, Daniel Garcia on Rampage. So... I don't know. I just don't see him feuding with Daniel Garcia in 2.0, though. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but I am excited to see the match because I think Daniel Garcia is just a fantastic technician. So I think Punk's going to bring out the best in him, too, and like raise him up another level, honestly. Um, but yeah, but that being said, I'm still here for the Starks Punk match. I'm hoping that's not something that's gone on the wayside. No, because you, you know that they can do some awesome promos against each other, let alone have a fun match. So it's yeah. just, it's something I want to see happen sooner than later. But you know, who knows? Yeah. Um, I did think it was a nice moment, though, when Punk gave the kid his shoes. Oh, yeah. It was like a $1,000 like pair of like Jordan 1s. Uh-huh. Right? Is that what they're called? I'm not a sneaker guy, so I'm not idea. a sneaker guy either. I, I'm still wearing like broken down Vans right now. Yeah, so. well, that's that's me, Vans and Chucks. So, and I'm in my 40s. I've literally been wearing the same shoes since I was in high school. Hey, they're the coolest shoes, all right? Uh-huh. My aching feet. It's all about fashion, not function, Christian. And unfortunately, I have the fashion sense of a 13-year-old, so. <laughs> well, you know someone who doesn't care about fashion? That would be Arn Anderson, as he showed up in <laughs> Cody Rhodes' backyard this week. So this might have been my favorite segment of the whole show. <laughs> I won't lie. <laughs> I love fucking crazy red-ass Arn Anderson. Uh-huh. Like, <laughs> I need more of this character in my life. So, yes, he's out in the backyard. I don't know if this garbage can was already there. It was something like Arn had in the back of his pickup truck. But, I mean, Cody wasn't happy about it, but he wasn't also, like, super surprised or angry about it, it seemed like. Like, he's like, you you broke in my house, Arn? Like, (laughs) like, just very, like, I don't know, matter-of-factly. He's so, he's treating him like it's just like, oh, it's my crazy uncle. You know, it just yeah, happens every right? once in a while. I don't know. That's cool. I wish Arn Anderson was my uncle, so I'm good <laughs> with that. Um, <laughs> but yeah, apparently he was burning his jacket, like you said. Uh, you know, Cody was, you know, kind of, you know, perturbed about it, but still not enough. Um, and I think that's the story. Like, he's trying to, like, get this other side of Cody out. Um, you know, cause at one point he literally slaps him across the fucking face, uh, and Cody barely even reacted to that. So, um, I don't know if it's supposed to be more of a case of like, I'm guessing it's supposed to be kind of a story about like Cody trying to find his like fighting spirit again, um, you know, and get that edge back to him. Uh, one point he said, why don't you go ahead and, you know, paint a star on your face again, you know, referencing Stardust from WWE. Uh-huh. Um, was, I don't know if you caught it, but Cody, when he was walking up, was like, what are you going to shoot me, Ar? <laughs> <laughs> I thought that was amazing. And I love all the Arn Anderson, oh, like, yes. gun memes this, this week. <laughs> 
Uh, but yeah, no, this is definitely a great character for Arn. Uh, I hope they continue it. I don't know where this is going with Cody. Um, I still think they need to turn Cody heel. Um, this can't just be a program about Cody finding himself. Like, mm-hmm. I feel like he needs an opponent because it's just going to be more self-indulgent shit that, like, you know, is kind of the reason why I feel like the fans have kind of started turning on Cody in the first place. Exactly. So, I mean, hopefully they find an opponent for him to, like, find his edge again, if that makes sense. So, and maybe that's Arn, like, totally turning on him and, you know, bringing someone in to, you know, beat the shit out of him and teach him a lesson. Just as long as nobody gets shot in the end, we're all good. <laughs> I was concerned, though. <laughs> uh, up next, we had the TNT title match with the Spanish god, Sammy Guevara, retaining the title against Bobby Fish. So, yes, and it's official. Bobby Fish has signed with AEW. Uh, they announced it after the match tonight. I thought this was a fantastic match. Uh, Bobby Fish can do nothing but help your roster. Uh, you know, and just, I mean, he's such a fantastic, like, technician. So I feel like, you know, just getting in the ring with them. So many of your younger wrestlers are going to learn so much. Um, Storyline-wise, I'm not quite sure where he fits yet. Um, we'll see, especially since, like, Adam Cole is, you know, part of the super elite. I mean, mm. do we see a reunion somewhere down the line? Um, I wouldn't be surprised by that. Uh, but, yeah, no, I mean, this was a great match, especially, like, for a first match for Sammy. Like, I felt like he really shined here and... You know, it looks like he's off to a promising start for his title reign. Well, hopefully he didn't get stomped out too quickly, though, as the American top team actually showed up at the end of this match and just beat the hell out of him. Well, I mean, I appreciate them, you know, top team bringing some continuity and reminding, you know, us that like, oh, Sammy's actually part of, you know, the inner circle. Yes. You know, and it's nice that Jericho showed up to save him because Sammy <laughs> didn't pay him that fucking favor last nope. week, right? Because <laughs> I remember last week I was bitching about this. Uh, I was like, what the fuck? You know, Jericho just and Hager both got their ass kicked in the middle of the ring and Proud and Powerful and fucking Sammy didn't even bother coming out to save them. So maybe this is their way of like rectifying that mistake. Um, but it seems like they're going to be tagging together against top team. Was it next week? Yeah, probably on that uh, Saturday special episode they're doing next week. That's right. That's right. So, um, you know, uh, Ethan Page, who's part of uh, Men of the Year, was not there, I believe. I'm guessing that's because uh, his wife is about to have a baby or has had the baby already. So I don't know when he's going to be back. So this definitely feels like the start of a feud between the two factions. Um, I could possibly see maybe like, you know, one of the men of the year taking the belt from Sammy eventually here. And I'm wondering if we're working towards like the debut of like Mazadala in the ring eventually. So if that's how you say his name, I'm not a MMA guy. So (laughs) your guess is as good as mine. Yeah. He did look impressive though. It was Mm -hmm. one hell of a running knee. Oh, and speaking of TV titles, Tony Schiavone was in the ring with Ref Aubrey with a very special announcement. The new TBS title, which is set to be a women's division belt for TBS when the show moves over to there. Yeah, I don't know if it's just going to be defended on TBS. I'm guessing it's probably going to be on both shows. Um, But I'm not going to lie. Like, I hate the name of the title and the look. I thought it was kind of bland. 
but I like the concept of the title. I think it's mm. great that they're going to have this, you know, quote unquote, like secondary title uh, for the women because they definitely need something else to be like, you know, revolving storylines around um you know and i think it's a good idea too because i feel like then we'll be guaranteed to have at least a handful of matches every show uh women's matches every show that is because right now i feel like we average like one match per show which just isn't enough and your roster is not going to grow because they have so much young talent i feel like they need to get that tv time to gain experience so um but yeah and your roster is growing too so (laughs) You have bona fide stars there. So, you know, why not, you know, bring in a new belt and that way you give, you know, these talented women a reason to like, you know, be on camera every week. Exactly. I mean, like that last battle royal reminded me that there were so many women that are either on dark or just not on television ever. Um, And I think this belt will hopefully help that. But at the same time, I didn't like what we got later on, and I don't think this is in our little read thing, but uh, we had a moment with Britt Baker, who was already kind of downplaying the title, which, I mean, she should, in in theory, be like, oh, yeah, this is a lesser title compared to mine, but mm-hmm. maybe not the same night you announce the title. Yeah, I agree. saying it's a secondary in her eyes. I don't know. I agree. I agree. And I think they're probably going to work it like the TNT title, where it's mm. going to be like the workers' belts. You know, something that's defended almost every show. Um, you want all your belts to feel special and important. So, um, but yeah, no, I'm looking forward to the belt itself. And like I said, I'm looking forward to more women's matches being on, you know, AEW just in general. Because I don't know, like with a two hour show, there's no reason why you shouldn't have a handful of matches, women matches on the show at this point, especially with how talented your roster is getting. But getting back into the action, we had Darby Allen going up against Nick Camarado. Uh, before this, we did have a sit down between JR and Darby where he kind of told his yes. personal story on why he painted his face. I thought it was pretty well done. Um, you know, I have actually heard this story before um, I, in some interview on a podcast, uh, so I was familiar with it, but I don't think it's something that they ever told on uh, AEW TV before. So I thought it was a good, they did a good job of like, you know, adding another layer to the character. Mm. So I know MJF brought it up last week, but like we've never heard it like said by Darby, at least on TV oh, yeah, before. Exactly. So, um, but yeah, no, uh the match was fine for what it was it was more of a setup to what was to come um later on i do love how unpredictable darby feels like as a wrestler Mm -hmm. the fact that like he started off the match by like taking that crazy dive off the corner and it felt like even the cameraman didn't know it was coming (laughs) (laughs) it was a hell of a shot that they got um but yeah no i i just i'm loving everything darby right now as you should he's a bona fide star and i I mean, he's just going to go further and further and further and further and further until he's finally champion. Yeah, so... (laughs) Uh, Then we got a backstage segment with Dark Order. They've all decided to be a democracy rather than just have one leader. I'm sure that won't last, but, you know, it is what it is. I hope this isn't the way the story ends, because it feels like they're just treading water to tread water, Uh story-wise. So... Okay, I guess. I feel like I feel like the team needs like a leader at this point. Uh-huh. I don't know if that's going to be Hangman or what, but I don't know. I, I'm kind of over this, and I, I want to see more from them in the ring. I feel like one of them needs to step up and become like the star of the team at this point, because they kind of all just like fade together in the background at times. 
you know, they have their moments in matches, but like, I don't know, maybe they just need to have more single matches. I mean, it did feel like for a while, like John Silver was going to be that guy. But now, once again, I don't know, like, I'm just over the whole drama, you know, shit. Mm-hmm. like, let's let's move on. Let's make a star out of this team. So yeah, like several members like have solid singles matches here and there. Yes, they're uh, all talented. And I enjoy all their shit on like being the elite and everything. Mm-hmm. But it's just the way they've been booked lately. It's not I don't think it's their fault. Don't get me wrong. I feel like it's just the way they're being booked, um, you know, in this angle. I, I don't know. I, maybe I'm just being too hard on it. But, <laughs> you know, I mean, if they're going to have Adam Page, like, join the team, then just have him join the team outright now at this point. Like, it's taking too long. Uh, we also got an in-ring interview with Dante Martin pretty much putting out an open challenge to anyone. Um, and, of course... The man who knocks <laughs> arrived. Oh God! <laughs> <laughs> Why did he have to bring that up again? Oh, <sighs> he's got to be just so happy about where uh-huh. he's at now. <laughs> you know, as an artist, like <laughs> I mean, they literally WWE literally had him sitting in a fucking closet for two years. Yeah. Oh my God! Can you imagine having that talent? And having him just like sit in a fucking closet, wasting away, cutting literally the same promo week after week. I mean, wh- what were they doing? Oh um, my god! Week two hundred of free ricochet. Yeah, right. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, I was impressed with Dante Martin here. Like he was pretty good on the mic. I didn't see that coming. So I don't know if I've ever heard him on the mic before, but he impressed me. I was like, the dude can talk, at least in this segment he can, Uh, you know, and I'm excited for this feud. If it's going to be a thing, hopefully it's not just a one off, but we'll see where it goes. Yeah, I was glad that he, you know, brought up his you know accomplishments so far, even though he hasn't won too many matches. He still has had great showings against the likes of Omega and several other superstars. So this should be a good match with Malachi Black showing up. Yeah. Uh, I don't know why they had to have the, the lights go out again the second time when he just rolled that out was a little weird and it felt like Malachi <laughs> Black wasn't expecting that right because uh-huh. I was expecting to see him in one of the corners posing or something like that but then he was just like kind of like booting him out of the ring and I was like well that's weird like what was the point <laughs> so um, but yeah no so maybe that was a miscue of some sort hmm. uh, but I like the Black Mist thing that they've got going yeah. and even though like Dante's not going to win this feud with Malachi at least I don't think he is he's still gonna get something out of it like i trust AEW to protect him and not to make him look like you know your standard fucking job guy you know they're gonna do something to get him over in losing so i mean AEW does a great job of just developing their younger talent and really putting them in the spotlight where they're gonna do nothing but grow and thrive and get over with the crowd so I'm looking forward to this. Um, you know, something that we mentioned off mic, uh, pretty much, was that you know, AEW is being forced to do a little bit more, you know, packages and stuff like that, and you know, promos like these throughout their shows. Uh, and I think they handled it very well this episode. I mean, like our next one is a, again, you know, after we came back from the commercial breaks, we have Ricky Starks in the middle of the ring, pretty much calling out Brian Cage, saying that you know, oh, you know, he's not here for a match and stuff like that. Uh, no, I agree 100%. The show had a really good rhythm. Um, 
but you know in weeks past it it definitely felt like they were kind of off a little Mm -hmm. and i think a lot of that is because they're just not used to like having as many you know segments backstage and promos but now with this size of a roster if you're going to serve all your talents and make sure that they get featured you need to have these things to like facilitate that for you know your talents um and to make sure that the crowd is staying invested in all the different characters and, you know, angles you've got going on. So while you might not necessarily, you know, be able to, like, have everyone in the ring every week, you could still give them just, like, a 30-second, you know, moment to, you know, keep them fresh in people's minds. So um, they've been kind of struggling, like I said, with that, you know, uh, recently. There was definitely some growing pains. But tonight was different. Like, I felt like they kind of, like turned the page on that and they found their rhythm finally but yeah again brian cage came storming out uh to try and attack ricky starks in the middle of the ring it's a very short segment but it's pretty much setting up a match for rampage which they probably recorded that night anyway yeah i'm sure i'm sure and there's probably spoilers already out there uh-huh you know <laughs> so but i'm gonna avoid them i like to go into things you know blind to mm. really enjoy the you know the show so uh but yeah no uh hopefully this is kind of like the blow off to this feud because it feels like it's been kind of like stop and start for like months now for mm. some reason um but yeah no it's gonna be a good match i just don't know where they're gonna go afterwards yeah, I, I'm ready for Ricky Starks to move on to Punk. So Yeah, hopefully that's going to happen. All right, throughout the night, they brought up that was on her way to becoming the very first woman in AEW to win 50 matches. Um, they even had a trophy set up for her uh, before the match. She's going Which up against Jim Ross, like, pointed out. Like, uh-huh. <laughs> they already made the trophy? <laughs> exactly. Uh, <laughs> but she was going up against the woman of a thousand holds, um, Serena D. So I'm wondering if, like, there was a ceremony in back with, like, Dean Malenko. Did he, like, you know, knight her? <laughs> the woman of a thousand holes? Because that's his gimmick. So, uh-huh. uh, But she, I mean, it's well-deserved because she's amazing in the ring. I mean, Serena needs to be on the screen every fucking week. She She's by far one of the most talented women they have on the mm-hmm. roster. So, I mean, she's the definition of a ring general out there. I mean, everything in this match was crisp and flowed so well. Uh, Every time I see her in the ring, no matter who she's working, like, it ends up being, like, a technically sound match. Uh, You know, just great storytelling-wise. Like, everything that she does has purpose. Like, it makes sense. So, I mean, she definitely has earned, you know, the, the moniker of a woman with a thousand holds. So it's it's very Dean Malenko-like. I mean, we <laughs> talked about this off mic, like once they kept on bringing up the trophy and everything, it was pretty obvious that she was going to lose here. Um, you know, but I like that Deep seems to be a heel now. I mean, not seems to be. She is a heel. She attacked her with a trophy afterwards. Uh, we'll see what that story is. Hopefully they give her some mic time to actually explain why. Uh-huh. <laughs> um, you know, but I mean, I'm all for it. Like, you know, there, there needs to be more than just one big heel in the women's division. And I could see, you know, Deeb being a strong contender to be the first person to carry that like TBS title. So 
Um, but yeah, no, I'm looking forward to this program. Me too. Like I'm wondering if it, you know, starts off with, you know, Sheeta losing a bunch going after this, like yes. this 50th goal or what, but I'm guessing that she goes on a losing streak and mm-hmm. she just keeps on trying to be deep and can't and refuses to face anyone else. You know, like she's just determined to, you know, get that 50th win against Steve. Yes. <laughs> uh, you know, maybe she loses a handful of times to her and it becomes like a weekly thing almost until she does eventually, you know, pick up that big win. It's a great way to feature both of them. So, no, I agree. I agree. Outside, we had an interview between Alex Marvez and Darby Allen. Darby Allen just seeming to be leaving the, for that night. Mm hmm. Sting nowhere to be found. And then, of course, that leads to Darby getting jumped by a bunch of mysterious masked men who are obviously the pinnacle. Uh, <laughs> Sean Spears had his fucking eyebrows sticking out of the mask. Uh-huh. <laughs> his weird. I mean, right off the bat, you knew it was the pinnacle because you see like Sean Spears, you know, manscaped eyebrow sticking out of his ski mask. Hopefully he used our promo code 20 amazing to save 20 percent off you know, his purchase, um, you know, listeners, you could do that too. you know, support our sponsors, <laughs> <laughs> support our sponsors, supports the show. So, uh, but anyway, um, cheap plugs aside, uh, I don't know. This was a nice segment. I'm not sure why they had to wear masks, like why they were trying to hide from this. Maybe, you know, they did mention that Darby was going to be wrestling against MJF next week. Uh-huh. Maybe MJF like whole plan was to take him out. So that wouldn't happen. So that's why they were wearing masks. Um, maybe. I don't know. <laughs> it was obviously them, but, you know, hey, whatever. Uh, I thought it was cool, though. It was very horseman-like, and I'm glad that, you know, we're seeing more of this group function as a faction. You know, they're not just kind of like all off doing their own things. As we said earlier with Inner Circle, we want to see these teams either working together or at least having some type of you know, some form of unity going on in at least one segment if they're going to be doing stuff instead of just on their own all the time. Yes, no, I agree. Because then otherwise, what's the point, right? Exactly. Right before our main event of the night, we also had another moment with Leo Rush uh, backstage, kind of seeming like he wants to recruit Dante Martin. This is something that I don't personally want. Uh, I don't want to see an angle between the two of them, but I don't know. Uh, I could see them going against each other. I don't want to see Dante Martin being managed by leo rush i'm guessing it's probably going to end up leading to a match that i can't i can't imagine them teaming together but maybe that was the point um i see where you're getting that from though now that i think of it that does make sense but i'm guessing that'll be short-lived and it'll end up Mm -hmm. like a feud i mean imagine these two guys in the ring together working though I mean, talk about fucking high flying. It's going to be insane. (laughs) (laughs) With Leo Rush's whole gimmick of like being a money man, I'm immediately thinking like, oh, could he be like a new leader for HFO? Could he like, you know, dismantle it or something like? I don't know if they go that far. Um, I think Hardy's pretty entrenched as the leader. Uh (laughs) Um, I could see him joining up with them, though, and Mm. him being kind of like, you know, uh, the focus of the group. Um, He's super talented. Uh I mean, hopefully he's doing okay. I know he was struggling with some injuries for a while, but I would love to see him get his career back on track. Well, speaking of big career moments, we had the main event with the casino ladder match, bringing together Andrade El Idolo, John Moxley, the Murder Hawk Monster Lance Archer, 
Big Money Matt Hardy, freshly squeezed Orange Cassidy, Pac, and the Joker card being that of Adam Page. A real like star-studded affair. Um, I do wish they got some more time, uh, but you know everyone got a moment like in the spotlight and a chance to really kind of get their shit in here. So that's never a bad thing. Uh, I do wish they would work out the timing better with the commercial breaks. Cause like we had Lance mm-hmm. Archer come out in the middle of the like commercial break and do this whole like little angle of him, like dragging a, a, some random guy out and beating the shit out of him. I was like, that poor guy just got his ass kicked for like no reason yeah. whatsoever. <laughs> um, but yeah, no, I, I really did enjoy the match. Um, I think we both had our sneaking suspicions that it was going to be Adam page. Um, but regardless, the crowd popped huge. Huge. I thought it was a great way to kind of get him back in the title picture. And we'll see when that match actually ends up taking place. Do you think that's going to end up happening on uh, the next pay-per-view? Or do you think that's going to be something like down the line they save? I feel like it should be on a pay-per-view, but maybe that's just, you know, so many years of WWE that I'm just expecting it to be on one. Because, I mean, they've had so many TV events. It could happen on any one of those. Yeah. Yeah. No, I agree. Um I wouldn't be surprised either way. I'm just, it, it's curious because I know like Kenny's currently in a storyline with Daniel Bryan. Mm. I'm wondering if they use Paige to take the belt off of Kenny, then, you know, Bryan and Omega can like work a full program. Yes. Um, so maybe that's the route they go in. But I don't want anything to kind of distract from the page Omega storyline because they've you know done such a great job of telling that story over like, over a year now. So, you know, I hope that, you know, Brian kind of, you know, steps back into the shadows for a little bit to like have this program take place, you know, the right way between, you know, Page and Omega and Page really gets his moment. Because I've said it before, like the only person who should take the belt off Omega is page so but like you know and i feel like that belt is kind of the only reason why they're not working a full program with brian right Mm. now right you know because you can't have this guy just come in out of nowhere and you know get title shot after title shot so like have brian work another program maybe feud with like adam cole or someone and then let page go ahead and you know dethrone kenny and then you can move on from there I, I want I want to know if they're I, I can't imagine them doing it this way, but I want to know if they're going to treat that chip as a way to do it like the money in the bank where you can do it at any time randomly or if they're going to just make it a an announced match. I don't I don't think it's functioned that way in the past, mm. so I don't foresee that. I feel like they'd be just way too derivative of what like WWE's done with money in the bank. Especially with it like being a poker chip, you know, <laughs> like, yeah, <laughs> it'd be a little too on the nose. So I'm, I would much rather have it be a set match, you know. And I honestly, I feel like that's the best way for a babyface to win the title. You mm. know, I know Big E just won the belt that way with you know money <laughs> to make, but for me, and I'm super happy for Big E, but for me, that kind of cheapens it, you know, where you have to like kind of sneak in and win the belts. Like where I would much rather have a baby face, you know, challenge the guy, you know, you know, face to face and set up a match where it's like kind of fair and square. Like if you're a fucking, you know, dirtbag heel, then yes, cash it in any time you want, you know, but for a baby face, that's always been something I've bumped up against when it comes to like the money in the bank concept. Like, I feel like it doesn't really work with a baby face. 
you know, I know Cena in the past, right? He's challenged outright, like, oh, I'm going to cash this in at WrestleMania mm-hmm. or something like that, right? A few other wrestlers have done that, you know, um, and that's fine. But I, I just, I don't know, for a baby, like a true blue baby face, I'd rather have you just challenge for the match. Like, so it's fair and square. So, but once again, I'm just happy the fucking Biggie has the fucking belt, uh-huh. honestly. Uh, and at least they've done it right by him since and like had him beat Lashley in a match upright. So straight up. So, um, but yeah, but anyway, enough WWE talk. <laughs> I guess the only reason I brought it up is just because it would fit the whole like he's doing cowboy shit thing, you know, if they wanted it to be like a surprise thing. But I, I again, I doubt it. And I feel like they would just set up a normal match. Yeah. So <laughs> no, I, and I understand what you're saying. And there's something to say about like the anticipation of that happening. You know, knowing that there could be a cash in at any moment. Mm-hmm. But once again, I feel like you're going to get your baby face more over if it's a straight up match. And storyline wise for a protagonist, it just makes more sense. But with that said, that's two years in the can for AEW. Let's hope for another good, solid two years going forward. Uh, this Friday's Rampage will feature CM Punk versus Daniel Garcia. I believe we mentioned that earlier. Uh, we got the AEW World Tag Team Championship between Lucha Brothers and the Acclaimed. Uh, we have Absolute Ricky Starks versus the Machine Brian Cage in a Philly street fight. And we have Jade Cardgill versus Sky Blue. Hopefully Sky Blue finds her voice and really takes it to Jade Cardgill. Yeah, because... Yeah. <laughs> She, yeah, she sounded very mousy, like, right? Yeah, uh-huh. she cut a pretty meek wrestling promo uh-huh. tonight. So that might have been the first time she's ever been on the mic, though. So, I mean, in all fairness, it is what it is. But, yeah, no, it was what, during that T and TBS, you know, after they announced the TBS belt, right? Um, yeah. How the hell is the acclaimed number one contenders? I don't know. I was wondering that too. I was like, "Do the acclaim get enough wins? Maybe on dark? Who knows?" They, Khan needs to do something about his ranking system. Quality of opponent needs to factor in to these rankings because <laughs> he can't just have teams racking in all these wins on dark and then all of a sudden showing up as number one contender because it just it doesn't feel like they've been built up enough. You know, regardless, it's like great, you've got a great win loss record, but. Who have you beaten? You know, that that's mm-hmm. what really matters with wrestling. Like, I like the idea of, you know, wins and losses matter, but you've got to be actually beating someone. It can't be some fucking, you know, guy off the street that you're, you know, beating week in, week out on dark. You know, it's got to be some actually like decent names that matter. Yeah, I mean, if they're going to, if they know that they're going to have a title match, if they, you know, because, you know, it's wrestling, it's all predetermined. You know, if they, if they know that they're going that route with one of these guys, why not have them have a TV match on Dynamite or yes. on Rampage? And build them just up? With an, exactly, with another team at their, like, last two before they go up for the title. And most of your, like, casual AEW fans aren't watching Darker Elevation. Yeah. So if you're not featuring them on your top two shows, your average wrestling fan, they're not going to know about them. So I agree 100%. You know, you've got to at least feature the team on the show like a couple weeks beforehand before you give them these title matches. So, I mean, 
find pad your records, you know, on Dark and Elevation, but at least get them a handful of wins, you know, on TV, you know, so these matches mean something when they do happen. And trust me, if WWE was doing this kind of shit, we'd be complaining also. So, um, you know, it's only fucking fair to call out AEW, you know, when, you know, some things logically don't really jive. So, um, but yeah, hopefully eventually they get their ducks in a row when it comes to the rankings. So I love the concept. It's just the execution's been very lackluster mm-hmm. lately. Well, that does it for this week. That's right. And as a friendly reminder, if you're listening to us on your favorite podcast platform, remember to subscribe, rate, and give us a five-star review. Exactly. It sure does help an independent podcast like ours continue to grow. And while you're at it, make sure to tell a friend. Plus, if you like any of the stories we talked about on this week's episode, make sure to check us out on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter to catch the full articles, trailers, memes, and more. That's right. You can follow us at Amazing Nerd Show on all social media platforms. And hey, if you're looking for extra content, make sure to catch our streams every weekend on Twitch, plus YouTube videos Monday through Friday. Want to support the show further? You can head over to tpublic.com and get yourself some amazing Nerd Show merch. We've got t-shirts, hoodies, stickers, and more. And if you post what you bought and tag us on social media, we'll send you some additional nerd swag if you live in the United States. Well, all right, Damon, what are we talking about next week? All right, Christian, next week, Horror Month continues as we count down our favorite witch films. Also, we'll have film reviews for James Bond, No Time to Die, and A24's Lamb. And, of course, we'll be talking about everything that's going on in wrestling. My name's Christian. And my name's David. And that was The Amazing Nerd Show. You won't live long, even if you run!